Hello, and welcome to another episode of the 30-Minute CMO Podcast. My name is Gorsha Huchua, and I'm here with my friend Alex McNamara, joining from Oregon City, Oregon. Alex, how are you? I'm good. I'm doing really well. How are you doing? I'm doing all right. Uh, it feels like spring is upon both of us. Well, spring's oh, perpetually yeah. here, but spring's upon you. Yeah, LA has two seasons. Um, what's, what is it? It's uh, summer and nighttime. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and you so, have like, and you, yeah. and you have and you have six basically like. We have in one day. We have six. Yeah, it's it's impressive. I was actually no. Today was really nice. I was sunny, so I was out in my new garden, tending to the plants, ripping out some weeds, planting some new kale starts because the original kale starts didn't do very well. Um, but yeah, it was it was it was really nice. I'm trying to figure out what's a weed and what's a plant. So the previous owners did a fantastic job of looking after this garden. So I have you know big boots to fill, quite literally. Um, I have astroturf everywhere <laughs> and so i'm in the easy to maintain for, i'm in the Sorry. market for um an astroturf vacuum cleaner or whatever that thing is that <laughs> wait no there isn't one of those is that I, I, I there's definitely an, a rake for it um but i kind of want a roomba type thing that just goes around you know like oh. beep, 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 boop, you know and like your <laughs> thing is done that's, that's oh my god astro i would i you know what? i'm gonna have to look this up if not, can you just get a Roomba and would, would the Roomba just work and just hope, hope no one steals it? Yeah, I mean, I, 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 what I'm really would be delighted to see is some sort of a hedgehog riding on top of a Roomba, you know, like some wildlife mixing in with my yeah. handmade AstroTurf. Um, yeah. I feel like that would be, that would be swell. Maybe I'd get like a GoPro, put it on top of a Roomba, see what happens. <laughs> that would be excellent. Yes. Well, AstroTurf Roombas, that's the, that's the next thing. Hot ticket. Yeah. Hot ticket, Hot ticket right here. You know, for that's some serious startup um, brain thinking right there. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, we've uh, we we've missed uh, we've missed a week due to some uh, personal circumstances. Uh, we are back. Um, it's it's not been it's not really been a week that was too heavy in terms of advertising news in general. But there are some things that we uh, wanted to discuss. They are somewhat marketing uh, related or marketing adjacent. Uh, that's our theme and credo. Uh, mm -hmm. I know you have one uh, really good one uh, about Realtor.com. So you want to lead us off, Alex? Yeah, I'll kick off with that one. As you know, we do love good billboards. Um, love them. Love them. Um, been spending too much time with Craig um, talking, chatting billboards. Uh, but this was really great. It was from, I think, my friend Mackenzie, uh, who I worked with um, at my previous creative agency job, um, did this one. It was her idea and it got put out. It was uh, Realtor.com. Um, and it went out the, the day of the NFL draft. Um, and it said, if you have luscious locks and your name is Trevor, we can help you find a house in Jacksonville, which I thought was excellent. It was just like, it was just super simple, straight to the point, digital billboards. We could go up really fast. Mm -hmm. I didn't see it obviously, but the great thing about this is I didn't have to be there to see it because we, they could PR it on Instagram and everyone saw it from just buying, you know, one round of a, one round of a programmatic billboard. So I thought that was awesome. Really so, great fun. I think, I, th I, th I think that this talks about how billboards out, out of home advertising over the last several years has become very real time. And because it's, yeah, because it's outdoors and it's, it's in the element, uh, it has more of this impact because people don't expect to see something like this. And when they do, mm -hmm. 
I think it really surprises and in this case delights those who are able to see the message. Yeah, it's kind of like in the UK when when they buy um, print ads in in London, especially. Yes. So like the the morning and the evening newspapers, you can get your ads in really late, and you can get a you can get a full wrap um, on them. So like when they did the um, KFC chicken shortage, and they put FCK. Um, when Tesco did their um, you know go to the pubs instead of buying beer from Tesco ads, it feels and I think it's is both like a psychological thing of it's very hard to buy a billboard it's very hard to buy a print ad compared to like buying a facebook ad which is yeah. you know anyone can do it um and so that, so that there's that and it's been like in real life unexpected like you said makes it feel much more sort of surprising and delighting um so yeah i just think it's it's a really nice way because if you saw that on instagram or you know on facebook you were like yeah cool that's nice and you know you don't know if it's real you don't know if it's like a, a concept but this is like, it's real. It had to get signed off by the client, had to get signed off by the brand. There's a lot more checks and balances put in place to make sure that people aren't just running ads willy-nilly with your logo on it. Yeah. I think people expect real-time response online and they still know that doing this out of home in print, even on TV, it's a much more difficult mm-hmm. thing to, to, to pull off. I do remember a great one. Um, I think it was we discussed football obviously uh, on our last podcast, so this is relevant. I think this was either Champions League final or something uh, or something similar, and there was a big um, mess up by the referee by the umpire. Uh, and uh, the yeah. next the next morning, uh, Specsavers put a put oh, out yeah. <laughs> a full page ad uh, showing you know this you know the the photo of like the moment that happened and said you know should have mm-hmm. gone to Specsavers. Hey, I should have like or, hey, ref should have gone yeah. to Specsavers. Uh, so I think that was really good. And those types I of mean, things really, are, you know, it's like you, they are in on the same joke as everyone else. Yeah. Being culturally relevant in that way um, is, I mean, it's, it's great. And everyone wasn't expecting that. I think Specsavers do a really good job actually on, on, they do a lot of those. They've got a really good agency and really fast turnaround, but yeah, being able to have that in the night before and being in tomorrow's newspaper is, is awesome. There is um Interesting debate, by the way, a little bit off topic, but there's an interesting debate going on uh, on LinkedIn about memorable ads and ad campaigns. And the question was posed, name three memorable ads or ad campaigns. And then the second question, and now name three memorable digital ads uh, or digital only ad campaigns. And I, you know, I, I haven't really given it too much thought, but here we are uh, recalling print ads and out-of-home ads from years ago. And both you and I remember the Specsavers ad, right? Yeah. Both, both of us could probably remember a few more um, print and out-of-home ads that really resonated with the wider public. And I just wonder if uh, that, that question is onto something that we are so used to the real-time nature of digital that nothing really is memorable. Yeah, I think I think I have two things on this. Is I think it's it's unfair to have someone recall a specific ad that ran in either sort of traditional channels versus digital channels. Because if you're doing a good job across both, you should be able to remember remember the brand message from either. Um, so I think that saying it's only um, only outdoor or only print or only TV versus digital is a bit unfair for digital because it's in, they're in support of each other. 
And then second, I think people have been making digital advertising. I'm thinking like more social specific than like banners. Um, they've been making that to fit within the space. So it's all about blending content sort of with native content. It's all about making your brand message feel appropriate for the platform. So you're going to run a, an Instagram campaign or a Facebook campaign that fits within that platform. So it doesn't stand out as much and just like really good content. I'm sure people can remember really good content, whether it's from a, a brand or from a, a an influencer or a content creator. So, you know, I, I agree with you that it's it's easier to remember good advertising in the real world when you're out and about or, or watching TV because it's, it's very different to the environment you're in. I think it's harder to replicate that. But I think there there have been some. I'm I'm going to say this, but I'm going to be completely blank on any actual like campaigns at all be the outdoor print or um on on digital so i think i think you can you can have I mean, the famous one and i'm not saying it's good but the famous one is the oreo one because the, that was dark yeah which i absolutely hate because it's it's famous for being famous i think it's really stupid um and everyone's like this is one of the best ads of all time like it's not it's not a, it's not it's it, just not. It, it, it just exploited uh it just exploited all facets of a medium um that was there for it to exploit i think i think yeah. what you're i think what you're describing is actually very interesting the the formats of ads on digital and thinking about where most of digital ads now live it's it's controlled by two entities essentially right facebook and google yep. it's very i mean what makes these companies ad products so powerful is that they're very standardized and because they are standardized, it's easy to make creative for them, but also it's hard to stand out. And I think what makes ads memorable is their ability to punch through the format that they exist in and really yeah. surprise you. The way that we're discussing this Realtor.com billboard, you know, the real-time nature of a billboard is still something people are getting used to. Yeah. Um, you know, it's um, the the sort of the quick follow-up on something cultural that happened in a print ad is still something that people don't expect. Um, you know, we're some, we're sometimes seeing some really amazing executions on digital billboards where you feel like the whole building unfolds in front of you yeah. and really it's just a huge screen. It's hard to do in digital these days. I think five, six, seven years ago when um, there was more diversity in, um, in the types of publishers people were visiting, uh, it wasn't as narrowly controlled by these two um, advertising giants. It was possible to see some really cool creative, um, especially with rich media, where I remember even I was working on a campaign for A Diamond is Forever for Valentine's Day, where we had um, rose petals falling. Uh, it was an Okande Nest website, and we had ro rose petals falling out of a leaderboard ad across yeah. the site onto a skyscraper. And I remember there was a big, a whole big argument uh, because we booked it that way, but IBM had booked um, an ad unit above my skyscraper. And so my rose petals were falling onto, into an IBM creative. And uh, and the reps from Conde were like, yeah, but it's it's kind of fine. I'm like, and our agency also handled IBM at the time. I'm like, do you want me to walk up to the IBM floor and tell them that my rose petals are falling into their ad unit and, the, and, and see if they're fine with it? You know, but those were the types of things that we were able to do. And I think that was pretty cool. I think nowadays, because everything is so strict and formulaic, 
it's a little harder to break to break through yeah. you know and um, yeah people don't remember things that look alike no i i on um i just remembered when i was working on omega back in in london um i was really impressed with how we could get all of the watches to tell the time um of whoever was looking at the banner at that time and like mm -hmm. that was really cool back in 2011 mm -hmm. 2012 um and now you'd be like yeah well why doesn't it do that so <laughs> and i think we did a similar thing with with what you did of of having things go from a leaderboard into a skyscraper and into a MPU and have like them interacting. Um, I don't think we quite nailed the real live in interactivity and we kind of faked it so that we just did made them so that when they started, they would just run and they would interact through time uh like when they were supposed to interact in the in the banner rather than actually like interacting but yeah i think i think i think that's what it is it's really hard to break through especially with the amounts of content that you're exposed to like you don't go on instagram um to look at one thing you're looking at you know a thousand things and within those thousand things 30 percent of them are ads and all of the ads are basically the same same format same Right. same layouts same things and there's i mean at this point everything is so mm -hmm. automated there's a proven formula uh usually for what for what works and everything gets everything seemingly gets reduced to some sort of lowest common denominator which is not a way to create memorable ad campaigns but um but here we are before, and so before we before we move on i also think how you use um the media it and and where you are in the funnel using that media like you're not going to run you know instagram story um ad that's going to tell a 60 second or a 30 second smart idea you're going to use it to pay off the smart idea you had in tv or in connected tv or on the the video the big screen video experience we're going to have the full messaging so i think it's also again harder to break through because you're not running the 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 big idea there you're running the fast takeaway idea you're right um i i, I think one Thank of you. the com one of the <laughs> one of the comments was that digital is still seen as a place to run performance ads and not to create this um awareness and one of the next topics we're going to talk about is going to touch on the the convergence of um you know uh things like youtube uh and big screens but let's save that for for later but it's something to to remember consumers don't differentiate uh between the environments that they are in um although they do pay attention to uh the devices they're watching things on and they do choose the best possible device for the content that that is available hence why yep. Quibi went bankrupt <laughs> they had to like, slip it in somewhere had to slip it in somewhere. <laughs> All right, before uh, before we get to that next uh, YouTube related topic, I did want to bring one thing up. Um, and this is around um, summer travel. Uh, travel is a theme that you and I during the pandemic have, have discussed quite a bit. Um, finally, people are starting to get out of their houses, getting on airplanes, flying to destinations, usually at this point still domestically, landing at airports, going to the rental car counter and finding no cars and they're finding no, no cars, cars uh because during the pandemic um these over leveraged car rental agencies uh sold off massive amounts of their fleets because they needed some money some way to stay alive uh, hertz went 
uh, went into bankruptcy administration. Um, other car, other rental car companies uh, struggled severely. Now there's a global chip shortage. Um, cars are being slow to get manufactured. So there is just this whole chain uh, chain chain reaction that that's been happening. The net result is there's a lot of demand for rental cars all of a sudden, and there's no rental cars. There are some stories coming out of places uh, like Hawaii where people are renting U-Hauls uh, in lieu of uh, getting ca renting cars because again, there are no cars. So finally, it seems like the travel industry is uh, seeing demand. Finally, people are willing to spend money on travel. And the first experience that they're, that they're getting is uh, this horrible experience of not having a car or having to sp spend two, three times what you spent on an airline ticket to rent the car. Um, how do you message your way out of this? Uh... <laughs> do, you, do you learn from Peloton when they like ran out of bikes to sell? I mean, I honestly, if this was me and I was and I was CMO of it, I would I would own it. You have to go in there and own it and just be like, hey, we have no cars. We're sorry. We'll do the best we can. We're putting things in place. And you just you just have to manage expectations with everyone that the they may not be able to get cars from you. And that's okay. I think and I, I don't know. I, I think that's I think that's it because if if you don't, if you pretend like nothing's wrong, you're just gonna get pissed off people when they try and either book a car or they get to there and like you know the Jerry Seinfeld skit, which is you know often quoted, you know, you get there with a reservation and you have no car because it was it was not reserved. So I think you know that's that's that that would be my approach. Uh, that would be my approach to how to how to message your way out of that one, but I would be offering um, free free days later if you do get screwed over if you don't get your car for so many days. I don't know. It's this is a really I, tough I, I, one because it's something that you that came out and you can see it coming and you couldn't do anything about it because as because it's like it's like as soon as you could travel again, everyone was going to travel. Great for business. Great for airlines. You know, great for car companies, allegedly great for hotels, um, but you know, terrible if you had to sell sell all of your. You know, imagine like if you if you're a Hilton or a Marriott, you had to sell all of your rooms to stay yeah. afloat, and then suddenly everyone wants to, you have no rooms left. It's it's crazy. I I so here's here's what I think, uh, and I, I'd I'd love to hear our, our listeners' opinions on this. I think this is where you can rely on consumers to be understanding because of the situation that everyone went through. But you, like you said, you have to own it and you can make it humorous. And I think with a little bit of creativity and it doesn't even have to be on a big scale, uh, you can give an idea like this legs, for instance, um, maybe uh, the CEO of the rental car company like shows up at the airport and like literally gives people a ride in his own car, like every, like all hands on deck <laughs> type of thing. Maybe you like yeah. just buy up a bunch of bikes and like just offer those for in in cities where like that's a possibility get 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 creative you know like hire out like a bunch of ubers and just give people uber credits and like hey we'll take you know what yeah. sorry we don't have a car but we'll take you to your resort you know and like here is you know 100 bucks worth of uber credit on us until we sort out a car for you and and yeah. you know you spend a few million bucks on this um you know it won't like that action in itself won't resolve the problem but i guarantee you it'll create enough media goodwill it'll have legs yeah. and people will be like you know what they're trying like 
Yeah. And then, and then you dictate to your staff, don't be rude. Don't be assholes. Like be sympathetic, be empathetic, you know, like be creative, empower them and um, give them some tools to solve uh, problems on the spot instead of just telling people, sorry, we don't have any cars. Yeah. No, that's, that's exactly, that's exactly how they should, because you, I think buying, solving the problem through sort of like front office style of, yeah. you know, messaging and gestures and like being sympathetic because people understand people get that the whole travel industry got hit hard. They'll understand that they may not have everything up and running immediately especially if they have to you know sell all the cars off so i think they'll they'll get it it may suck but that everyone's in the same boat it's like it's just that family or just that person um and i think yeah whilst the back of us are trying to sort out how to buy more cars in a car shortage then that's that's the only way you can do it there's no there literally is no other way but i can also see everyone just being like hey this is this is your problem not our problem i can see the bad the bad guys in this being like you know, it's not our fault. We don't have cars. It's your fault for traveling. Yeah. <clears throat> um, so going from traveling to staying at home, watching TV, where we've been for what seems like forever, mm-hmm. um, every day is the same day. Um, I got a YouTube TV subscription um, because I wanted to watch more um, This Old House and also it has a lot of sports. So I I got it for that and I've really been enjoying it. Um, I've connected it to my smart TV and through casting on uh, Google Chrome. But I got an email recently from YouTube TV saying that as of very soon, uh, YouTube TV app will no longer be allowed on, uh, on Roku. And this is all Roku's fault for not agreeing to help the users. And um, if you, you know, we're doing all of our, all everything we can um, to make this possible for you. But Roku are saying they don't, they don't want to play ball and making it hard, hard for you. So really interesting spat between Google and Roku, um, which I thought, I thought initially was about data because we, you know, we, we talk a lot, well, everything now is about data and, and um, selling to, to, very very targeted specific audiences but actually as we found out today during our little research it's about codecs and youtube rolling out codecs um that are that are relatively advanced that low-end rokus can't support and um and i think it's so it's basically saying who gets to decide which um codecs get have to be implemented within the tech is it the software supplier or is it the hardware provider yeah i um, actually am also a youtube tv subscriber and i actually have a roku enabled tv oh so you're like you're like yeah you're you're a no yeah i'm I'm, (laughs) is that what you're trying to say i'm screwed i'm screwed also that Uh, i I gave i gave i gave away my apple tv to my dad so uh i'm i'm like i firmly went into the roku camp uh so i might have to rethink this Bold move. Um, Roku sent me uh, a similar email, but alleging, you know, YouTube yeah. <laughs> uh, being being at fault here. So yeah, they're not seeing eye to eye. And you're right. It it turned out it is initially around sort of technology, but the larger argument is who gets to control these ecosystems and who is the gatekeeper. And one interesting example that was brought up 
that these companies spend a lot of time thinking about, but how, how do the decisions on those screens get made? If you use the voice activated control on a Roku, on a Roku TV and you say, you know, show me a trailer for an upcoming movie, uh, how does Roku determine whether they bring up uh, the trailer on YouTube and give YouTube the ability to monetize that or on Fandango or on some other um, streaming service? Yeah. So yes, this one is a little bit about technology, but I think it's uh, the reason they're flexing their muscles so much is because they're trying to set precedent and test each other's vulner vulnerabilities to see who, who, who is likely to bend. And the reason neither of them is bending is because they understand that there are larger there are larger implications here. Uh, it'll be interesting to see, and I wouldn't be surprised that at some point this becomes about the data. By the way, uh, if it hasn't, yeah, it hasn't just yet. Yeah, no, I, I think, I mean, I, I thought it was data around who could, um, who gets, who gets to leverage the data that's being collected in order to um, run programmatic connected TV. Is, is it Roku who gets to choose which program, which um, ads run based on the audiences, or is it YouTube um, who gets to who get to pick that? So that's 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 interesting. I think um, your point that you made just before that around um, flexing um, flexing flexing the muscles um, around who gets to who gets to pick what um, where they go within the within the um, what's the word I'm looking for experience experience yeah. there we go um it's uh i like how apple do, uh, apple do it um i think you you had an apple tv you say sure you know go to this episode of this series or whatever it is you search for something and it brings up all the little icons it's like you know i think they they know that you want to pick who would who where you want to go and they give you the option of picking whether you want to pay for it go to yours your subscription service that's free or another subscription service or like you get to pick um tivo remember tivo that was oh, yeah. a that was a that's the thing that they a have thing. A, a a stick type device now um and similar to roku and and chromecast tivo tv or tivo stream 4k sorry tivo stream 4k they um they have a similar thing but they aggregate all of the shows into a home screen mm -hmm. so you're able to browse um, all of the different shows you know, pre-selecting the, um, the the provider. So it puts all everything that you want to watch, it collects all your data from your different shows that you are watching. So you don't even have to go from there to an app um, to then pick your show. It's already on the, on the home screen. So they are doing it in a different way as well, which I thought was really interesting. Yeah, well, uh, can't, can't claim to know much about TiVo other than I'm surprised that they're still around, but uh, what, what you said about Apple, uh, the advantage they have is, at least to our knowledge, right? They, they don't make money on those um, on those kind of selections and choices, whereas Roku absolutely does. They basically behave yeah. as a as a cable company at this point. So that's interesting. Um, speaking of Apple, since you brought them up, um, they are also flexing their muscles. They are uh, flexing some serious muscles here. This is like Venice Beach muscles. Yes. On, you know, and I think at this point, most of our listeners know that uh, Apple and Facebook, um, they're not friends. Um, Man, they are not. They, they used to be friends. Apparently, uh, uh, Steve Jobs was a mentor to Mark Zuckerberg um, back in the day, but that is literally no longer the case. They rolled out uh, iOS 14.5, uh, 
in the last two weeks. And as Adland knows, this means um, a lot of problems for uh, apps that track and pedal in uh, user data. Uh, and Facebook um, does a lot of that. Um, iOS 14.5 will notify you as, as the user um, on what data is being collected and give you the choice to opt out with a single click. Um, you don't have to go into settings. It's done on upload, which um, when presented with the choice, do you want the company to track uh, your behavior, yes or no? Um, you know, it's not surprising that a lot of people will opt out. Apple also came out with an ad uh, around this uh, update, um, not just saying that this is happening, but also really digging in and saying, hey, these companies, and in parentheses, everyone can read between the lines, Facebook, they're selling your data and they're doing this without your consent. And do you really want them to do this? And this is in an ad. So they're not just being subtle about it. They're being very, very blunt and overt. Yeah. And they're willing to put money behind this kind of messaging. Facebook is pissed. Uh, there's a lot of uh, shows and a lot of podcasts that discuss this in detail. But Facebook is pissed. They're, they feel like they're being picked on unfairly because Apple is in bed with Google. Uh, the search results through Siri and Safari are powered by Google. Um, Apple also has its own nascent um, ad business with Apple search ads. Um, so it's, you know, it's clear that Apple is really going after Facebook here. There's, you know, there's a lot, a lot of assumptions about Tim Cook not really loving the Facebook model. Facebook has not made a lot of friends recently, clearly. But all of that to the side, uh, we're now living in this kind of post iOS 14.5 world. And uh, there was a recent study um, released by um, an agency called Mute6 uh, that you're familiar with that basically mm -hmm. looked at um, impact on performance of ad campaigns uh, based on uh, data from the last few weeks. And it doesn't seem like much has, much has happened yet. Um, it, you know, the, what they're seeing across all of the clients that they run with is um, maybe minor, minor adjustments one way or the other, but there's, there has not been a visible cliff observed in performance on Facebook just yet. Yeah, that's going to be an interesting one. I've been trying to read up on this and it's very hard to get a very clear answer of like what it means and how it works because apparently from the people I've spoken to like the mobile app space, it's like things change every week. Things are very gray. What you can and cannot do, what you can and cannot collect is really wishy-washy. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's it's um, that when you install, uh, you get that opportunity as that. So I was I was talking about it with um, an MMP partner, Adjust, um, to try and figure out from because like they are screwed because of how attribution works when you when you're running performance campaigns. You know you need that attribution provider to tell you what's what's working, and they go into this into way more detail and know what they're talking about. And I'm going to try and paraphrase it, and I may you know, make some mistakes, but I'm not going to try and explain that. My other, but the point I was going to try and make was um, you get an opportunity to um, to have people make that decision, and one of the ways that some apps have been doing it is being off initially, and having people experience the app without the tracking and then showing them what it could be like if they did have tracking and then offering that up because you have one opportunity to offer this up 
and it doesn't have to be right at the beginning. You get to pick when people make that choice in app. You can always make the choice out of the app or in the set and in the settings, yeah. but you're able to. Uh, so they've been running it off as legally required if they don't consent to be in, and then and then and then build this trust where you can be like, hey, we you know we are able, we've been running without it, but we're able to be much better with your experience if you opt in, and this is what it could be like, and then trying to get people to opt in in that way, which I thought was a really interesting sort of approach to it. Um, but I think, like you said, people would be like, no, I don't want. Everyone's had bad experiences with Facebook. I think it would be different if Facebook was known for being privacy focused, known for really valuing their users and protecting their users from anything bad that happens with data and data breaches and data leaks. You know, the the video on um, on the social dilemma um, and how they track and manipulate your data and, and to get you to do things. Um, there was one around the election. I can't remember what it was called. But how they ran the, that movie as, as well about Brexit with Benedict Cumberbatch. Like yeah. Facebook is consistently portrayed in such a bad light because of the decisions they make. It's really hard to be like, you know, they were trying really hard to make this good and, and Apple are doing the wrong thing. And I feel like someone has to make a stand and Apple did. And I don't think that they're doing it with the best interests of the consumer primarily. I, I'm sure there is something that we don't know. Well, that I'm not smart enough to figure out where where they where they're going to get an advantage here. Um, I mean, with the app installs, they they're building their own attribution networks, and now they control all of the install attribution, and then they can share that out. So they they're going to collect all of this data themselves from a performance marketing standpoint to then share out. It's like they are, you know, they're doing it in a different way. But I think you know they've been running privacy ads for what 18 months now, two years. Yeah. Um, the whole thing around the new iPhones was privacy. They ran, you know, so many big, big ads on TV and billboards and also on, on you're probably on, no, not on Facebook and Instagram because as you said, they hate each other. Um, they're not going to give them any money. Um, but they, ran, they, they stand on this platform of privacy and Facebook just stand on the platform of make as much money as possible through any avenue and every avenue. Yeah, uh... I mean, I, I think Apple, Apple is doing this with, um, yeah, they're not be, they're not being uh, super genuine about this, uh, and I don't think we we are going to go into too much detail uh, on this on this show about this. Maybe at some point we can devote more of an episode to this. But um, the fact that Apple has consented to uh, keeping all user data uh, from its Chinese users in China on Chinese service so that they can comply with Chinese law. Um, also tells you that depending mm -hmm. on the country, uh, Apple's, um, your experience with Apple may vary, um, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Privacy will mean different things to different people depending on where they live. So uh, we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens. Um, but right now it seems like um, Facebook is trying very hard not to be the one that gets screwed in this whole uh, situation. But uh, speaking of um, companies that might be screwed, um, sponsors, of yeah. the 2020 cross out 2021 Tokyo Olympics, uh, this is be them. Uh, for for those of us who are fans of the Olympics, um, even we may have forgotten that they're happening this year because they were canceled last year during the due to the pandemic. They're uh, on apparently um, 
Yeah, they were almost canceled this year. They were almost canceled this year. There's about zero support in Japan to host the Olympics, but they've dumped so much money and they've dumped even more to reschedule it. Um, it's being done without foreign visitors. It's being done with some really crazy, um, some really crazy instructions to fans in terms of like you can't even scream. Apparently, you're you're supposed to politely clap. Um, very low rates of vaccination right now in Japan, so they're really afraid of um, of spikes and in cases of COVID. Um, but if you're a sponsor, uh, you know you buy into like this whole Olympic experience. It's like a a year long lead up. Uh, you build up the individual uh, here, you know, heroes that you're going to kind of bank on for them to win yeah. medals, right? Especially in the U.S., this is the case. Um, there's a huge delegation that goes. There's a lot of creative that gets commissioned by brands for the agencies that's all around the Olympics. Um, I'm sure that all of it was, uh, I mean, imagine COVID hit in March of 2020. All of that creative was either in the middle of being produced or, or was already done. And it had probably, nothing... It done it was probably done and uh, it none of it referenced any of the new realities so all that most of it probably had to get scrapped and 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 reshot again because the world changed in this one year um if if you're if you're an olympic sponsor how do you how how do you how do you feel about this what i mean put yourself in the shoes of uh coca-cola or mcdonald's or procter and gamble you know like are you just chalking this up to like hey this is life and we're going to make you know lemonade out of the lemons we have, or is this like, man, this is horrible. I I think I think it's a it's a I think it's the second one first, and then the first one second, <laughs> because I imagine everyone's like, we spent like millions, hundreds of millions to sponsor this, and I think I think there's there's, there's like a the saving grace is that the international sponsors that you know like the one the the non local sponsors like you're not going to be in person global partners worldwide partners i think that's what they're called yeah worldwide partners or the ones they're the ones who are going to suffer the most but then again these are companies with you know quadrillions of dollars to spend on on marketing so it's like you know it's it's a hit but it's not really a hit like the the they're not i mean their money was gonna get spent anyway um but the issue is they're they're not going to get hit in that way i think the pride will be hit the most but i think the um the sponsors who are buying the packages through local so like they're they're getting the um the the ioc sponsorship and then in order to run olympic content and then buying it through nbc they're still gonna be you know fine i think because the the experience is not just um for for the worldwide partners is not just going to be you know in stadium experiences and and the experiential you know kind of like they had that moving of the um in egypt where they had that four tv only um opening of their new museum yeah um you know it's for tv this is for viewers it's for people who are going to sit on the sofa and critique the the you know the tom daly dive and you know yeah 100 and, meters and, being like and, I could and do, eat, I could, while I could eating cheetos right exactly while eating cheetos and, and burgers we're drinking coke eating mcdonald's um you know and but i so i think you're right in that we haven't had this massive build-up um and i don't know why i you know i haven't seen any references to olympics other than the olympics logo on nbc it is nbc right yeah it is 
yeah other than that like even they haven't run a lot of because um, I, I feel like everyone is everyone is afraid that uh something surprising may yet happen and you know last minute the plug could still get pulled because yeah. of all the of all the uncertainty but uh 100%. you know i just i think it would be interesting for us to chat to some uh to people who were in you know working on activations in the country because a lot of those brands uh, invest into actual physical infrastructure as well. Yeah. Like all of that. I mean, that's some, that's sunk, that's sunk, sunk dollars sunk that cost. are not going to be, yeah. um, you know, um, recouped. Um, yeah, I agree. I agree with your thesis. Um, they're going to adjust. They are not cash poor. These sponsors, they are going to make the most of it. I think there are some probably incredible storylines that came out of this, that they can be leveraging about perseverance and training while, while in lockdown and you know people are hungry for sport um olympics tend to have this effect everyone cr criticizes the olympics leading up to the olympics that everyone forgets that they hate the olympics and loves the olympics yeah. for the three weeks um and then, the and then you pick up all the sports you start doing all the sports afterwards and then yeah, yeah. everyone I, does archery think... and then <laughs> <laughs> but i think what's um what's interesting is it could be interesting from a creative point of view is because the Olympics got pushed back, um, all of the athletes that were training, you know, they're on very strict, you know, three, three year out, you know, building two years out. Yeah. It's like when the Olympics gets pushed back last minute, you're in the, you know, almost at the peak of your performance. Yeah. And now you have to tack on another year. Like what is the, what is the story there? And I imagine all of the brands that had athlete sponsorships um, are building some, hopefully they're building some kind of creative, um, story around perseverance and yeah, like you said, training training during COVID. What it means for someone to have like you know to 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 be able to fight the unexpected and and still come out on top. And yeah, you know, I, I imagine we may see some of those um, some of those coming out. Yeah, um, fascinating stories yet to come from from the Olympics front. I am looking forward to the Olympics coming back um, and uh, in yeah. quick succession because we'll get the Beijing Winter ones in February of 2022 already oh yeah. yeah oh yeah double olympics double olympics all right my friend i think this uh wraps up our ad talk episode for today uh, yep more to come next week uh wish our listeners all the very best and thanks for joining 